Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to another Firefill episode here on GEMS Podcast. I'm your host, Genesis Amaris Kent, and with me today is Sharon McDougall. She was hidden, but hidden no more, and you'll find out why. So here's a bit about Sharon. She is regarded as a modern-day hidden figure. As a member of the NASA family, McDougall worked in the space shuttle crew escape equipment, also known as CEE department. She began her career as a CEE suit technician, the first black technician, and was responsible for processing the orange launch and entry suit, also known as LES, assemblies worn by space shuttle astronauts. McDougall made history when she suited up Dr. Mae Jemison for her historic trip to space. Sharon was also the first black and first woman crew chief team until the space shuttle program ended. Ending her illustrious 22 year career, y'all that's a long time. Sharon is also an Air Force veteran where she served as an aerospace physiology specialist suiting up and strapping in reconnaissance aircraft pilots. She's also done some other things such as recognized by her home state as a Mississippi Trailblazer, honoring a Mississippian who holds the distinction of being the first in their profession and a trailblazer whose singular work and contributions will leave a legacy long after her life has ended. She also received a Lifetime Achievement Award from her hometown, Moss Point. That's Mississippi, y'all. She recently became a published author, penning her first children's book titled Suited Up for Launch with Shay. But without further ado, let's welcome our honoree today, Sharon McDougall to GEMS Podcast. Thank you for having me. Wow. Impressive background. It feels like I'm sitting with a legend today. And I am because you're a legend in your own way because you've suited up Dr. Mae Jemison. You were the other lady in the picture that no one noticed. You were hidden, but you're not hidden no more because now you're out in the open talking about all the incredible things that you did and what your career journey has afforded you. And when I can say what an impressive background I want to thank you for your service in the Air Force. I want to thank you for what you've done for NASA and where you're going now being a published author. But let's dive into why you say hidden no more. I know what it means. And it reminds me of the movie Hidden Figures. And I do believe you were that hidden figure. But now it's time for your glory to shine and you to radiate like the ray of sunshine you are. (laughs) Of course. Thank you. Oh, you got me blushing a little bit. <laughs> well, yes, yes, yes. I, I've had two amazing careers, actually. You know, so I've, I've just been very blessed and fortunate to land where I landed because both times my careers chose me. I didn't choose, like, I want to go do that, you know. So um, I'm from a small town, as you mentioned, Moss Point. My people love my, love my hometown. And I grew up there. Uh, I lost both my parents at a very young age. By the time I was seven, I was 
without my parents. Um, and I lived with my oldest sister and her family until I graduated high school. Graduated high school, didn't know what I was gonna do, didn't have money to go to college, you know? So the Air Force recruiter came and spoke to us like they do, you know, every year at schools. And that light bulb went off and I'm like, that's what I'm gonna do. So I joined the service, took the test. And the first job they offered me was air traffic controller. You know, they go by your test scores. If you're familiar, not familiar with uh, joining the military, you take a test kind of like an SAT test and the different categories and they score and they use that to choose what career they're gonna place you in. And I hadn't graduated high school yet when the air traffic controller job came about. So I had to wait. And the next job that came up and thank goodness cause I got to be in aerospace. So the next job that came up was aerospace physiology. I had no idea what it was. I just knew it sounded fancy. I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm going to be an aerospace physiology specialist. So I uh, went to boot camp. My technical school was only about a month long. It wasn't long at all. And it was mainly te teaching us the aerospace, I mean, the physiology part of it and working with the altitude chamber because that was my real job, not working with the suits. Working with the suits was a second duty once I arrived at my station at Bill Air Force Base in California. So I went through tech school, 18 years old, straight out of Mississippi, never been nowhere, done nothing, you know. <laughs> and I got to, and then I got stationed in California. I was like, ooh, I thought I was big time. I'm in California, but I was out in the boondocks. I wasn't in California that you see on TV. <laughs> and we were stationed way, our base was way out in the middle of nowhere in Marysville, uh, California, near Sacramento. But it's because they had the reconnaissance aircraft stationed out there, the spy planes. So that's, that's the fun part I got to do once I got there. Working with the chambers were really boring, really boring. So I'm glad we had that second duty working with the pressure suits at Beale Air Force Base. And I was in the physiological support division, which was an entity of the hospital because of the chambers they were on the medical side, as far as the uh, dive chamber, the hyperbary chamber. So, you know, we still had to do the chamber work, but the main meat and potatoes was suiting up the pilots, taking care of their life support equipment, loading aircraft and strapping them in. And this was on a daily basis. Of course, you know, not every now and then you might have a weekend flight, but mainly it was Monday through Friday, they flew every day, several missions. Not like when you got here for the a space program and it was like, you know, every now and then the shuttle go up, right? So I worked with, I worked there for 7.4 years. I took the early out when they offered it. But I had an amazing, I thought that was like the best job ever. It wasn't going to get any better, right? I got to travel. I'm 19. Like I said, I had, you know, out of small town and they sent me to Japan. And I was just like, <laughs> the whole, probably the first week my mouth was open. Like I'm in Japan. Not in, we weren't in Tokyo, of course. It was in Okinawa, Okinawa Air Base, a small town too. But it was just amazing to be in another country, around another culture learning new things, you know, working a couple of days a week because the plane didn't fly every day while we were on temporary duty. So uh, I hit the floor running. I mean, I learned the job really quick. I ended up being one of the best technicians there, pat on the back. <laughs> because I pride myself, even when I was a kid having to do all the chores at home, I had so much pride in my work. I mean, I would look, in, look at little magazine covers or newspapers and try to make our bed look just like that, even though we didn't have all of the fluffiness and all of the beautiful pillows and stuff. I would still try to make it look like that. Even though I know somebody's about to jump in it and tear it up. I did, it was just that, it was just within me. You know, nobody taught me that. It just, I just wanted to always do my best, you know, at whatever I did. I remember crying one time because I was cooking a pot of beans and they scalded. 
And no, my sister wasn't upset with me, but I was upset with myself, you know? So it was that inner drive in me, I think that's really helped me get along the way I have, uh, progress the way I have. And of course, having people put in place to help me along the way as well. And that's amazing because we see you transition from small town, Moss Point, Mississippi, to international waters, going all the way to Japan, and you really making a transition as well as a transformation because you knew you wanted a way out, and the way out was in lieu of the Air Force, and the Air Force is what gave you your footing to know about aerospace and just set you up on your way. So some people will say that's divine timing or that's divine intervention, because then had it not been for the experience that you gained from being in the Air Force, would you think you would have ended up at NASA doing what you ended up doing and meeting some of the incredible people you have met along your way? No way I would have ended up taking that path. I mean, I wasn't even thinking about working at NASA, even though I was working with pressure suits. I don't know why I did click to, you know, maybe I need to check and see if they have any jobs. It just didn't. I was just bit, just been on, I need to get a job because I got to pay rent. I got to do all this stuff. And I struggled like a lot of veterans do once they get out because that's all I've known my whole adult life. When I decided to separate from the service. I, and I had planned on doing 20 years because I love, I really did love being in the military. I really did. I mean, G.I. Jane, spitting, polishing and all that. I loved all that stuff. But it started changing in my unit and I didn't like the way things were changing. So I said, it's best for me to go ahead and you know move on to something else. And so after I got out, I was out and I couldn't get a job. And I was like, don't they know how awesome I am? Why isn't anybody hiring me? <laughs> I'll put in for everything, everything. And finally, I got a couple of part-time jobs and then I got one more part-time job. No one would hire me full-time because they didn't want to give me benefits. And mind you, I'm not used to real adult life because I've been in the military. They've taken care of everything. I hadn't paid any bills except my car note and my insurance. They paid for everything else. I lived in the dorm. I traveled for free. Every I ate on base. I mean, Everything was given to me. So I wasn't really an adult, you know, in the real adult way. So now I am. So I'm sleeping on my friend's futon. And this went on for six months. I worked a job in a warehouse, putting price tags on clothes for a department store. And it was like child labor slave. I mean, it was because it was hot and it was just horrible. But I had to, you know, I had to take what I could get. And so I did that. And then at nighttime, I would clean an office building. And then I also worked at Office Depot stocking their shelves for like for about four hours so it's I had I would have about probably four hours to get a nap and go to the next job you know because I had three jobs and I wasn't getting good rest because I sleep on that hard food time <laughs> and it's sad that you have to go through that but so many veterans go through that when they repatriate back to civilian life and people are like oh you were in the military you should have all these benefits and all these perks but until you actually go beyond the surface level with someone who has served in the military, has repatriate back into civilian lifestyle and work, then you start to hear stories like yourself, Sharon. But I do believe that every test that we go through in life is preparation for the test 
testimony that we're getting ready to share because it's going to help somebody else. It helps us personally as well as professionally because it shows what we're capable of. It stretches us beyond our comfort zone. And it also gives us that grit and resilience, even though when we're in the thick of it, it does not always look good. It does not always feel good. And it's not conducive because we're like, I've been here. I've been at the mountaintop. Why I got to go down to the bottom? And it's like a slap in the face. But one thing I've learned, and I've learned this recently, is when you are at the mountaintop, never discount or discredit the people who are below because you never know how that same ladder you went up, you're going to come back down and you have to humble yourself in order to get ahead. And just because you go from point A to B all the way to F and you have to come back to A, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you need to learn some more so you could grow. So now, um, now after you've done all that, you get, um, some information you get your breakthrough call so tell us about that what a great segue into that you mentioning people uh helping you out and you know that you've known before and stuff so anyway and y'all keep in mind this is before google cell phones all of this this is straight phone book yellow pages and you might know somebody (laughs) so a friend of mine this glorious call that i received Ray Villalobos, we were like best buddies, traveling buddies while we were in the Air Force. And we hadn't been in contact for probably a couple of years or so because he left California. He calls, and I don't know how he found me still, but he called and said they had an immediate opening at Boeing Aerospace Operations doing the exact same job I did in the military. Wow. Girl, look, every time I say that, I, be about to, I missed up a little bit. Like, I, I still can't believe it. And this is where it's like, if I had treated him badly or had been a poor worker when I was working with him or anything like that, he would not have called me. Girl, I'm about to cry. But he did because he thought highly enough of me to bring me to his job and put his uh, word, you know, saying, hey, she's a good person. Y'all should hire her, you know, put his stamp of approval on me too. And there were a couple other guys out here that was, that were from, uh, was from our base, the same place too. So it was kind of like, I think they came out and recruited at one point, I think after I had already left. And so quiet, I think it was four people out here already from my unit in the Air Force. So anyway, Ray, Bill uh, Lobos, well, he, I called him Lobo. Lobo called me and he said, just call this number. And I was just like trying to ask questions. He's like, just shut up. It's an immediate open call right now. So I called and it was like a courtesy call. It wasn't even an a interview. It's like they had already made up their mind that they were going to hire me. I just had to, you know, go through the little motions. And I called, they said, come out whenever you're ready. It was just like so nonchalant. I like to work with the space program. That's it. I don't fly out for one interview and then another interview and a third, you know, a panel. And because I had the experience and I had, and I had set my, like I said, I had, I helped set myself up because I was such a hard worker and so good at what I did in the Air Force till people remembered, you know, girl, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What are you going to say? No, I was saying that's amazing because it's like you had that preferential treatment because all they wanted to do was get Sharon McDougal on the phone because they already knew 
who you were and what you were capable of because Lobo had already went before you and put in a word for you. So all you needed to do was get to the place. And once you got to the place, the doors opened, the provision came, the prosperity came, and then the rest of the things that you needed to accomplish was going to be on you because he already got your foot on the door. You just needed to step up to the plate and do what you do. And now you are hidden no more because had it not been for the connections that you made along the way and you going the extra mile especially when you were the first african-american woman who have different standards than other people who are non-melanated you have to constantly prove yourself to be seen as well as be heard and i know some people may not agree with that statement because you haven't walked in the shoes of someone who is a chocolate drop in corporate America. And you haven't seen how there is different um, inequalities that are going on behind the scenes because you only see the forefront. And that's why I like the fact that if you look at Sharon's shirt, it says hidden no more, but you could see that she has NASA in there and you see all the different logos that she represents. But back to you, Sharon. (laughs) Thank you. I didn't know if you saw, I got your book chocolate drop. <laughs> Thank also, you so much. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so Lobo was my saving grace by far. I mean, we worked so closely together in the Air Force our last, his last few years there. Thank goodness. I mean, we traveled together and everything. I think his last assignment we went together was to Greece and we had a ball over there, of course, and worked and stuff. But um, I thank him as all the time. Oh, girl. But anyway, I threw my little clothes in my car. Thank goodness it was paid off because I had been in over five years. <laughs> and I drove from California to Texas by myself, quick in a hurry. But I told him, you know, and I got here, I started July 9th, 1990. Yep, got out to service that January of 1990. Started with Air uh, Space Shuttle Program. And it was Boeing Aerospace Operations. We were the largest contractor for uh, NASA on the shuttle side, taking care of all the space shuttle stuff side of the house. And so I got there, I hit the floor running because like I said, I was a go-getter. And I knew once I got that opportunity, like you alluded to earlier, that I knew I was going to go up because I'm, I'm just such a, I want to do everything and I want to do it right and I want to get it done. Let's get it. You know, just that, that, that was that girl. I'm still that girl. <laughs> Not trying to prove myself or nothing, but just because I like to see things go, go well. And like for our team, not just me, for our team to be praised for the great job we did and things like that. And of course, you know, if I get my little, uh, you know, my little shine too. You know. So, <laughs> so I got here, 1990. Look at this, another divine intervention moment. 1990 is when I arrived. So I got assigned to my first mission within one year because, you know, she's that girl. And I suited up Linda Godwin for my first mission, STS-37. Arrived 1990, 1991, Dr. Mae Jemison gets assigned to her mission. So if, if, if that job opening didn't op- would have opened up a year later, I, w- I wouldn't have been able to suit up Dr. Jemison because I wouldn't have been there. I would have just gotten there if I'd have gotten there a year later. So they wouldn't have let me suit her up because I, you know, I was too new to that, even though I could have done it, but to their policies and procedures and processes, you know. So I got when the first sister was going to space. Girl, I was excited. I couldn't wait. Couldn't wait, couldn't wait, couldn't wait. And so we have this big plexiglass board out in our lab. 
and it has different sections where you write all the different crews because we'll have like six crews training at one time astronaut crews people think it's just that one you work with and they go up no it's they're training the whole time there's a lot of stuff going on but the supervisor comes out once the flights get assigned the missions get assigned and he'll write the astronaut names on the board and like i said i already heard i knew it was coming so as soon as he wrote her name up there, girl, I grabbed a pen and wrote my name right by, I assigned myself to Dr. May. I didn't wait, even though he, he's probably going to do it because I'm the only black woman. She's the first black woman. So, and that's why I always tell people, they're like, oh, you made history with Dr. Demison. I was like, no, I made history before I met Dr. Demison because I was the first black person in my department. <laughs> so I wrote my name by hers and I kind of looked around like there's somebody to say something like, <laughs> things like girl we already knew it was like that's right y'all already knew what was gonna happen i'm suiting up dr may and so i got to meet her it was so exciting because it was me in there from chocolate drop and then all these white guys <laughs> in the room <laughs> when she walks in in the fit check room and it's a smaller room you know i'm probably about the size of a small bathroom like a big bathroom size it wasn't that big but it has a tester and it has a lounge chair there for the crew member to sit in. And then it has a little bitty changing area back in the corner. And so when she walks in, you know, we didn't really acknowledge each other because, you know, like I said, there's a bunch of people in there, you know, it's kind of excitement because first uh, black woman. So when she comes out the uh, changing room with her underwear on, they're like long johns, not bra and panties or anything like people, they, you say underwear, so they don't get the wrong idea. <laughs> it's long johns. And she comes out and this is her fit check. They have to get a fit check before they, um, so we can get their sizes and everything. We just have general sizes, like small, medium, large, and shoe size and things like that. So we have to do all these measurements and make sure we get them all the right equipment. So when she walks out and I'm standing by the chair and we kind of look at each other like. <laughs> she still don't know at this point that I'm her suit tech. She just, you know, we were just excited to see each other. You know, the only two black people in the room. <laughs> and we gave each other that look like, yeah. And she sat out and I introduced myself and, and kind of walked her through what was going to be happening, you know, as far as me suiting up and taking measurements and testing her and stuff. And we did that. And she was just so, oh, I love her, man. She was so wonderful the whole time. It's like we were, like, like she was my big sister, you know. And, and she would just, she was so cool, so personable and so beautiful. I mean, no arrogance or nothing, even though she could have the right to, because, you know, we're speaking seven languages and doctor and peace corps and dancer and all this other stuff she had going on she could have easily had a little mm, little air about her but she didn't so i you know i got you know i had to work with her for like a year before launch you know they had assigned about a year out so all of her training events if i was in town of course because i had i was assigned to other missions besides that one and i let everybody know i suited up a whole bunch of astronauts not just dr May. <laughs> she's just the most famous um so we went through all our training and stuff and, and I had to adjust her suit because the suits were made for men, so they were straight up and down and may had them curves and swerves, you know, she's a sister. <laughs> so I had to do some adjusting and nipping and tucking to make sure I accommodate that. So she had to wear a larger size because of it's, it being a man's suit because it's straight up and down. So I had to be larger to accommodate her. And then I had to just tighten it up at the top, you know, because she was tiny up top, little waist and stuff. And so we got through all that training and everything went great and people say um I've been asked you know you know why did you you know feel like you had to do it or blah 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 it's like not that I didn't think nobody could do it I know anybody else could have did the job but I was doing it for her more so than me I was excited because I felt like that was my family you know the first black woman come on I'm I'm doing it I'm doing it 
and wasn't even thinking about how big, you know, in the in the big picture, how big it was going to be later on. So anyway, we made it through, and suit up more, and it was kind of just like that first time we saw each other. It was like a lot more. Even though we don't see each other a bunch of times in between there, right? It was still that electricity, you know, because this is really the day, you know. And I wanted to, I, I assigned myself because I wanted to make sure she, that's the last thing she was going to have to worry about was her life support equipment. She knew that it was in good hands and she had one of the best. Not saying somebody would have did something, but you just never know, you know, because some shady stuff could have happened with her equipment or something. I don't know. But with me working on it, she already knew what it was going to be top notch. She wasn't going to have to worry about nobody not tightening something or loosening something or whatever that whatever that could have happened. It wasn't going to happen because she had me working with her, and I was going to make sure all of her stuff was up to par. So that was the last worry I wanted her to have on her mind was her life support equipment, and and she didn't. And she you know she praised me for that and thanked me for it. And I I mean I just I'm just so glad I was there for her. You know I'm just so glad I was there for her. And that's so amazing because you see how y'all had that electricity and y'all had that nonverbal cue and y'all just knew that it was going to be a good working experience and you getting to work with Dr. May Jemison set you up for um, what you're doing now. And we're also going to talk about that in part two, when we go into your book. So had you not been hidden no more, it wouldn't have led you to suit up with Shay, which is the children's book that you wrote and it's so inspiring because you need to let kids know that you can be anything that you put your mind to despite what social media may say despite what your family members may say or despite where you came from because where you come from does not depict where you're going your past does not determine your future there may be things in your past that help set you up for future preparations but it's up to you to work it. And it will work for you if you work it by you taking actions today to secure a better future for tomorrow. Because we are all legendary in our own way. And we all have been placed here on earth to lay a foundation. Because the beauty of Sharon McDougal is there's only one Sharon McDougal. There's only one that suited and booted Dr. Mae Jemison that has been through seven Point four years in the Air Force, 22 years at NASA, right? Correct. And then now you're doing what you're doing in your afterlife after NASA. You're still, you're still working and you're making impacts. So I tell people, what type of imprint are you leaving today? And how is that imprint driving impacts? And how are those impacts allowing you to be the world changer you desire to be because it's personal. So as we wind down, Sharon, I want you um, to tell us what made you create a shirt that said hidden no more. And how did you tell other people? I was there. You guys just didn't see me or acknowledge me in the picture because you have that picture with May and you were the other person in the suit. But all people saw was Mae Jemison, Dr. Mae Jemison, excuse yes. me, because she was the focal point. But no one ever thought to say, who's the other chocolate drop? Who is the other African-American woman? 
And I think that's why you say hidden no more. And that's mm -hmm. why the movie Hidden Figures came out because there are so many people who have done incredible things throughout history, but they have not received the recognition that they deserve because somebody th didn't think they were worthy or somebody didn't think they were a focal point like somebody else was. Exactly. And I, uh, I actually didn't tell my story until the movie Hidden Figures came out because I assumed everybody knew because like you just mentioned, I was in photos with Dr. Jemison, even a short video clip on Launch Morning of me suiting her up. And so I didn't consider myself hidden, you know? <laughs> like I wasn't hidden, I'm in photos with her. But when that movie came out, I, will, I got real angry because I had worked out there 22 years and had never heard of any of those women, never heard of a human computer or none of that. So I was mad and I'm like, why didn't they have a plaque or something, a street, a building named after something? So no. So I got over being angry and I was happy that they finally, their story was finally being told. And then it kind of prompted me to be like, you know what, maybe I need to share what I did, you know, cause it was a different career path, but it still was working with space programs. So I decided to, and I'm telling you after that movie, that movie when it came out, I still, nobody still wouldn't know. <laughs> So I contacted my hometown newspaper in Moss Point, Tyler Carter, and he has a podcast as well, but Tyler Carter, uh, and, and I asked him, you know, I told him, and I sent him, and I was like, uh, go look at the picture. That's me in the picture with Dr. Jemison. And he, when he looked, he's like, oh my God. <laughs> it was just like, I was hidden in plain sight. I was invisible. And he was like, oh my God, somebody from Moss Point, Mississippi, that's did that. And you know, it was just a big deal. And so he wrote the article and I'm thinking it's just going to be in the paper. You know, I wasn't, girl, we were leaving to drive back to Texas and at the little local gas station. And I saw the newspaper stand. Girl, I was on the front. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, I'm big time. <laughs> so that, that made me cry. I ain't lying because I was not expecting that. And it was a photo of me and May, the one that, you know, the iconic one that everybody knows where I'm kind of bending over, adjusting something on her suit. And funny story about <laughs> about that picture I was already done working with me when the cameras came in so when they came in I was like let me go and act like I'm adjusting something so I can get in this picture <laughs> look stay ready you ain't got to get ready right <laughs> exactly so so Sharon, that is incredible. And I'm so glad that he wrote that article because that article helped set you up for yep. success and people started to give you the recognition. Not that you were pining for the recognition, but you just mm. wanted people to know, um, hey, I worked with Mae Jemison and you deserve to get some credit because, because you made sure that everything was good with May Soup. She came back down safely. Yeah. And it takes a lot of work suiting up astronauts by um, what you and I discussed during our pre-chat. But now I want you to tell the listeners and viewers how to get a hold of you, plug your book, and then they're definitely going to have to come back and listen for the next segment that I do with you because it's going to be all about Suit Up with Shay. Yes. So I have been so fortunate and thank goodness, I mean, not thank goodness for the pandemic, but that gave a lot of people time in their homes, time to do things that they haven't had a chance to do. And that's when I wrote my book, even though it only took about, a, took about an hour to write it because it's something that I speak about all the time to children. So it was very easy to write the book. Getting it through the other processes of illustrating and stuff was hard. That's what took a long time. Writing the book was, 
So it's suit up for lunch with shade. There's my baby girl. <laughs> and it is so cute. Even if you don't have a child, you need to order it and just find a child to give it to if you don't want it. But it's so cute. And I've had so many adults tell me they had wild moments when they were reading it to their kid. Like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So what happens is, is I'm walking you through a suit up, but I'm telling you about the suit where you can understand, you know, in a, at a child's level. But it's still interesting enough for an adult to like the book, too. So uh, little Shay is playing, one of wants to play dress up. And she, uh, her mom said, well, before you do that, I need to let you know all about what you're going to play dress up in. And she walks her through what the suit's used for. Why is it orange? How do they go to the bathroom? And Shay has all kinds of questions. And she's asking her mom all these questions and she's answering them. So, and it, it'll lead you to want to ask more questions. So it'll probably make you go and like Google and look up more information. Because like I said, I didn't go into a whole lot of detail and get too technical because I want kids to enjoy it. Um, and so I've always wanted to write a book. But this, you know how you keep putting stuff off. So that pandemic said, er, sit down and write that book. And that's what I did. <laughs> and it's out, it came out in October. So I'm so, I'm so thrilled. So I've been getting a little shy from that now. And as far as the t-shirt, uh, this is, a friend of mine surprised me with this shirt. Crystal, she still works out at NASA. She's in the education department. She surprised me, we went to lunch and her and her kids had the shirt on and then she gave me one. <laughs> That is nice. I can't take credit for it. I can, she designed it and everything. Well, put a plug yeah. for Crystal and tell her. Crystal Williams and her uh, Instagram is living, I want to say living out loud. I don't want to mess it up. It's Crystal Williams though. She makes t-shirts. That's one of her side gigs. She makes t-shirts. Huh? The other one I had on, she made that one. The suit up for laundry Shay, she made that one too. I'm going to so, have to put uh, her on the podcast and get me a shirt. Tell please her. do. But no, put her on the podcast because she has the most amazing uh, show on YouTube called Mommy and Me with the Listers. She teaches all these experiments to her little kids and they're participating in it. It is so adorable and it's so educational. You'll love it. You'll love it. So Mommy and Me with the Listers. But uh, oh, y'all can reach me on, on Facebook under my name, Sharon Caples McDougal. And then I also have a modern day hidden figure, Sharon Caples McDougal separate page and a suit up for launch with Shay page. Same on Instagram. I have uh, at the at that at the real Shay Mac on Instagram and su at suit up for launch with Shay on Instagram and on TikTok at suit up for launch with Shay and of course I'm on you know the other ones LinkedIn and Twitter and all those but mainly on Instagram and Facebook I do a lot of uh, posting and I will make sure all of Sharon's contact information is in the show notes so since she's primarily on Instagram and Facebook I'll put that at the top and then the other ones will be below but Sharon I want to thank you so much for coming on Gems podcast today I want to give you time to share what your call of action is and then we will set up another segment soon all right well my call of action is to make sure I spread the news about STEM and the aerospace industry as much as possible to let children know that they can be, they can work at with the space program. They don't have to be a rocket scientist. They don't have to become an astronaut. I never knew what a suit tech was until I worked here. And there are so many other career fields out here that's like that. So of course it helps to know somebody, but you can always just look on NASA site, look for the job that's out there, you know? You don't, and another thing, I accomplished everything I accomplished without a college degree. So please know that you can work in the space program without a college degree. A lot of people think NASA, oh, you got to have a college degree and, you know, all these other, you know, accolades. But no, you do not. You do not. There are plenty of career fields out here that that does not require a college degree. 
but hard work though. You got to work. You can't just walk in and, and you know, be on like a basically. You got to work. So I earned it. Even though I didn't have a degree, I still earned everything. And I started at the very bottom as a C technician, became the first a woman crew chief and first black crew chief. Then I became the manager of the lab. The last eight years I was there, I was over the whole department without a degree. So I just want, want kids to keep that in mind. Don't, don't feel less than if you don't have a degree or can't afford to go to college. You can still be successful. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS podcast, Sharon McDougall, Hidden No More. And I want to encourage you to go out there and turn your dreams into realities. Don't just aim for the stars, but aim for the moon. Because as one amazing person said, don't tell me the sky's the limit when footprints are on the moon by Paul Brandt, I believe. So let that marinate and sit in and remind yourself when someone says you can't do something, you are here to rise above limitations and break down barriers because we need you to launch off. So until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. Signing out, Genesis Amaris Kemp and Sharon Medugal. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see the video components. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform as well as our YouTube channel. Gems with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at gems, G E M S, with W I T H, Genesis, G E N E S I S, Amaris, A M A R I S, Kemp, K E M P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, Your services can be here on GEMS Podcast.